Well, our story for this morning picks up right after the story that we looked at last week. And so last week, if you'll recall, we uh, had the familiar story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, we pick up right after that today in Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. That's page number 1,520 on the Pew Bibles. And this will take us to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret, and when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as always, we see and hear this story, and we know that it's by the power of your Holy Spirit that we understand the greatness and the glory of Jesus. I pray, God, that you would cause us to worship him today like the disciples did when he got into the boat and the storm stopped. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we are typically impressed when uh, people do amazing things. I had a friend in high school. One time I loaned him an album. He went home that day with the CD and he came back the next day and he gave it back to me. And I said, oh, you didn't want to keep it longer? And he said, no, I I figured out how to play every song on it. So I I don't want it anymore. And I thought, wait a minute, what? You figured out how to play every song on the CD last night? That's amazing. I was impressed. I was even more impressed when I became better friends with him 
And I was at his house one day, and I watched him do it with my own eyes. He, he played a song, and then he picked up his guitar, and he started to play along. Within a few moments, he was playing the song. I, I literally could not believe it. This is why we go to concerts. It's why we watch sports. It's, it's amazing when someone can sing so well that it moves our hearts. It's even more amazing if they wrote the song themselves. So not only do they have musical ability, but they have poetic, heart-unpacking ability as well. It's amazing when someone can hit or throw or shoot a ball better than anyone else. It's why literally millions of people tune in to watch. This is why Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods and uh, Tom Brady are household names. Because we are impressed when people can do amazing things. And when people can do amazing things and we're impressed by it, guess what? We, we kind of want to do amazing things. You better believe I took that album home that night and tried to figure out how to play those songs on my guitar. I was not able to, by the way, but I tried. This is why children, when they watch a football game, they can't sit still and they want to grab the football and go outside and pretend that they're the ones throwing the touchdown pass to win the game. It's why when they go watch a movie, they come home and immediately they're ninjas or soldiers because they just saw something amazing and they want to do amazing things too. We are impressed when someone can do amazing things. And so we want to do amazing things too. And in our passage today, Jesus continues to do amazing things. So the first thing we're going to look at is the fact that Jesus is amazing. Next, we're going to look at faith imitates Jesus. And finally, Jesus is worthy of worship. So Jesus is amazing. Our story picks up right after he feeds the 5,000. Uh, and if we add women and children, we're talking about 15,000 people. And in the Gospel of John, we're told that what happens at this point is that the crowd wants to make him king. And so Jesus, to keep the disciples from getting caught up in the political fever of the moment, he sends the disciples away. Matthew tells us, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to, to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And that word made is interesting because how many of us like it when somebody makes us do something? Probably not a single one of us, right? This word means to compel. It means to even force someone to do something. So this is not optional. Jesus is insisting that the disciples get on the boat and go to the other side. And guess what? They obey. And the reason they obey is because when the person who spoke the universe into existence speaks and makes you do something, what else are you going to do but obey? Meanwhile, Jesus dismisses the crowd. Matthew goes on. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And so Jesus finally gets his time alone to pray. He spent the day teaching and healing and multiplying enough bread and fish to feed 15,000 people. And instead of sleeping, which his body probably needed, he goes up 
to this mountain to pray. The crowds, they don't understand who he is. The disciples are slow to get it. Herod is aware of him now and threatened by him. The religious leaders are still out to get him. John the Baptist is dead, and the cross is getting closer and closer and closer. So he prays. And as he's praying, the disciples are struggling to get across the lake. There's there's no turning back because Jesus commanded them Right? He made them get in the boat to go to the other side. And so they spend the time struggling. No matter how late it got, no matter how tired they were, no matter how strong the wind or the waves, the disciples are fighting through it because Jesus made them get in the boat and go to the other side. Matthew tells us they were a considerable distance from land. Uh, John helps us out here. He tells us they were three to four miles from land, which means they're probably about a halfway, about halfway to the other side. Matthew says they were buffeted by waves. That word could be they were tormented by the waves. In Mark's version of the story, he, he tells us that they were straining at the oars. So just think about the amount of time it would have taken for Jesus to dismiss the crowds and then to go up and pray. And while he's doing that, the disciples would have spent some time dealing with the 12 baskets of bread and fish, preparing the boats, getting out onto the lake. So how long were they out there? Well, Matthew tells us, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And a literal translation of this is in the fourth watch of the night. So the night was divided into four watches, three hours each, from 6 p.m. until 6 a.m. And so this would have been in the fourth watch, which is 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., or shortly before dawn. So that means the disciples had been struggling with the wind and the waves out on the sea for six or even eight hours into the night without any sleep. And then all of a sudden, they see someone walking on the water, Matthew tells us. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, Nowhere does the Bible affirm the existence of ghosts. But average people have always wondered or maybe thought possibly that ghosts exist. That's what's happening here. The disciples are delirious, they're tired, they have no physical explanation for what they're seeing. It's impossible for someone to actually walk on water. (laughs) This must be a ghost. And so they're terrified. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage is literally take heart, don't worry, everything's okay. It is I is literally I am in the Greek. Which means Jesus' exact words here are, Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. I imagine most of you know the story of God talking to Moses from a burning bush back in Exodus chapter 3, and Moses asks God his name, and God's response to Moses is, I am who I am, which is why God's name in the Old Testament is Yahweh, 
The name Yahweh is derived from the verb I am, or to be. So God is the great I am. So Jesus here is telling the disciples, take heart because I am who I am is here. Don't be afraid. It's a lot easier to walk on water when you're the one who created it. I'm the one who said to Job, who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for the sea and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Jesus is the one the psalmist was talking about when he said, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Because Jesus is God. He is the great I am. He is the one who tells the waves where to stop. He is the one who calms the surging sea. You see, some have suggested that this is a story about how Jesus comes and he meets us in our storms. And that is true. But it's true because Jesus is always with us. He promises never to leave us or forsake us until the end of the age. So of course he's with his people during the storms of life. But this is a story about how Jesus rules over the storms of life. This is a story about how Jesus is the one who makes us get into the boat and go into the storm. And then he lets us struggle with the storm into the fourth watch of the night. And he does this not just so that we know he's with us in the storm, but so that we know he is the great I am who rules over the surging storm. Because we are impressed when people do amazing things. Jesus doesn't want us to just be comforted that he's with us in the storm, even though that's true. He wants us to be comforted by the fact that he sent us into the storm so that we would know he is God and that he can walk on the water. Listen to these words from King David from Psalm 119. I know, Lord, that your laws are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. What does that mean? You see, this is the kind of Savior we need. We need a Savior who's not only with us in the storm, but who created the storm and sent us into it with a purpose so that we could know that He is the great I Am. No circumstances in our life are random. He is such a great Savior that not one drop of water is out of place in the storms of our life because He is the one who tells the waves where to stop and He is the one who rules over the surging sea. He is the God who does amazing things. And when people see someone doing amazing things, we want to do amazing things too. And if we focus on the fact that this story is only about God being with me in my storms. That's still me, thinking of me, looking at me, only wanting God to think of me 
But the greatest comfort in the storm is when we look at Him and think of Him. Because only when we see Him for who He is and lift up our gaze from our circumstances and our sins and our problems, only then will we, will we be more impressed with Him than we are with ourselves. And that's actually what we need more than anything in the midst of our storms. And then we'll want to be more like Him. So faith imitates Jesus. You see, when we see how amazing Jesus is, when we see the things He says and does, there's just something about His love and His goodness and His peace and His graciousness and how He uses His power to bless others that we can't help but think to ourselves, I wish I was more like that. Which is why Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Notice he gets down out of the boat. He would have had to crawl over the side of the hole, probably like holding on to it, dropping himself down onto the water. And then he walked on the water. And who knows how far Jesus was away. But you get the sense here that there's a kind of an extended period of time where Jesus is, or Peter is experiencing himself. Walk on water. Are you so impressed by Jesus? Are you so impressed by him that you, that you want to do the amazing things you see him doing? Do we have enough faith to risk being more like him? Several weeks ago, I talked about the difference between what faith is and what faith does. Let me just remind you of what we said that day. Faith is simply the ability to receive Jesus, to be united to him. It's knowing him, it's resting in him, it's trusting in him, that God is now your Father because of what Jesus has done to save you from your sins. That you are a great sinner, fully deserving of His judgment and His wrath. But God, who created the world and is, is holding it together right now by the word of His power, God, who is perfectly righteous and holy, really did send His unique Son to this earth to live for you and to die for you and to save you from your sins, and to make you his child. And faith is simply receiving and resting in Jesus, knowing that all of that is true for you, personally. That's what faith is. But what faith does is live as if that's true. Faith lives as if Jesus really is the one who can speak and make you get into a boat and head into the waves and struggle with them until the fourth watch of the night. What faith does is live as if Jesus is the great I am who rules the surging sea. Faith is impressed by the amazing thing Jesus does and faith wants to be like Jesus. And so Peter sees Jesus walking on the water and Peter 
He wants to walk on the water too. But notice he doesn't just run headlong into the water. He waits to make sure. He waits until Jesus calls him out on the water. If it's you, Lord, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. What amazing thing do you see Jesus doing that you want to do too? What amazing thing do you see Jesus doing that you want to do too? What amazing thing do you hear Jesus inviting you to come and join him on the water doing? For some of us here, that might be something that sounds crazy. For some of us here, that will be caring for the widow and the orphan and the refugee in practical ways that take us out of our comfort zone and out onto the water where the only thing that will keep us from sinking is keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. See, I think for most of us, we kind of like to hold on to the boat a little bit, right? Well, I don't want to give too much money away because I, I want, I got to have this. I want to help the refugee here and here and here and here, but I, I still want to hold on to the boat. And for many of us, it's not going to be as exciting as walking on water. For some of us in this room, he's inviting us out onto the water of ordinary faithfulness. Inviting a new attender or a new member over to your home for dinner or for lunch after church. Putting to death our sin. Confessing and walking away from an addiction. Obeying him with our sexuality no matter the cost. Enduring the monotony of the same routine day in and day out with joy. Giving ourselves to the duties we know we've been called to without grumbling, complaining, or envying someone else's life, or at least our perception of their life. Accepting life on God's terms instead of demanding life on our own terms. Respecting our husbands and submitting to them as Scripture calls us to. Or loving our wives as Christ loved the church and giving ourselves up for them. Being a kind boss or faithful employee, obeying our parents, being firm and patient with our children, showing consistent kindness and gentleness and love, reading our Bibles, praying, coming to church every Sunday. For many of us, this is the kind of water Jesus is inviting us out onto right now in our lives. And don't you see, right, the one who's been entrusted with little will be entrusted with much. So, so whatever Jesus is calling you to right now, whatever little bit of faithfulness he's calling you to, if you give yourself to that, there'll be another little faithfulness, another little faithfulness, another little faithfulness, another little faithfulness. 
And pretty soon, you stack on one year, two years, three years, four years, and you're going to find yourself five years down the road doing crazy things that won't seem crazy anymore. But guess what happens when we step out in faith to be more like Jesus and to live as he's calling us to live? Guess what happens? Usually we see the wind and we're afraid. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! You see, when we are impressed by the amazing things Jesus does, and when we step out in faith to live more and more like him, I think sometimes we have this romantic idea, yes, I'm going to be more faithful. I'm going to do the thing that I know he's calling me to do, and it's going to be amazing when I do it. Yes, I feel so motivated after today's sermon that I'm going to go do it. It's going to be grand and great, and then, and then we do it. And we're like, whoa, what am I doing? We all know what happens anytime we try to stop sinning or to be more faithful in some area in our life. As soon as we try it, the wind kicks up, we get scared, and we start to sink. That's why most of us stay stuck in our patterns for so long, right? Because we're looking at the wind instead of at Jesus. Because just like Peter, we take our eyes off the great I am who rules the raging storm and we look at the storm instead. Notice when the, te the text says, when Peter saw the wind. <laughs> who here has ever seen wind? Not I. What Peter saw was the sea spray. Right? He felt his cloak grabbing around his legs as the wind was blowing. And all of a sudden, instead of having this single-minded focus on Jesus, he noticed all those things, and he realized, oh, what am I doing? Right? But then he cries out, Lord, save me. Because here's the thing. All of us, our faith, it's not strong enough. Right? We, we all have this faith that, that we might have just enough faith to get, off, get out of the boat, get out onto the water, but as soon as we start, we, we need this we need him to save us all throughout. We need him to save us in the beginning. We need to save him to save us all the way through, all the way to the end. So, so doing crazy, radical things involves this constant, Lord, save me, Lord, save me, Lord, save me. It's the cry of faith. Faith is impressed by Jesus when we see him doing amazing things. Faith wants to be like Jesus, and so we step out in faith to be like him. But our faith is never perfect. So keep your eyes on Jesus. And the best way to keep our eyes on Jesus is to come here to worship every Sunday, to receive the means of grace, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, to give ourselves to the means of discipleship, reading the Bible, praying, joining a Bible study. And as we do, guess what we, we do? We, we see things that Jesus is doing. And then we start doing crazy things like stop making excuses for our sin, loving our spouse, our kids, our parents, our friends, our boss, our employees, our teachers, our classmates. We start telling other people about Jesus. And when all that gets hard, we start looking at the wind and the waves. We 
We just cry out, Lord, save me. And then we do it all over again because that's what faith does. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? You might have heard people encourage you to question Jesus and to doubt. They'll tell you Jesus welcomes your questions and your doubts. And that's true. But Jesus does not want to leave us questioning and doubting. He clearly wants Peter and us to grow in faith and to not doubt. He wants us to trust him as he reveals himself on the pages of Scripture. Right? Scripture is written and given to us so that we can be certain. And so that we will know that he is the Lord. He is the great I am. He is the one who controls the surging sea. So that we will have faith and not doubt. And so that we will worship. Finally, Jesus is worthy of our worship. Matthew goes on. When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You see, at some point, we can no longer just be impressed by Jesus. We can be impressed with musical talent, athletic skill, but we're not supposed to just be impressed by Jesus. And Jesus does more than just amazing things. Jesus does God things. And we are to fall down and worship him as the son of the living God. Just think about everything the disciples have seen in the last 24 hours. They saw Jesus teach and heal diseases. They saw him create bread and fish out of nothing and feed 15,000 people. Now they've seen him walk on water. They watched him cause Peter to walk on water. And as soon as he and Peter get in the boat, the storm stops. I don't think that's a coincidence. And last time we heard about him calming a storm... Matthew told us this, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. But this time, this time they just fall down and worship him. They probably didn't quite understand yet that he is God in the flesh. They worshiped him anyway. And for a Jew to give worship to anyone but God would have been blasphemy. But you get the sense here that they're not, they're not connecting the dots. You get the feeling that their worship in this moment is just the natural reaction to all they've seen and experienced. It's like they hadn't thought about whether they should be worshiping a man or whether Jesus was God or whether worshiping him could be breaking the first commandment. No, they just just did the only thing that made sense after what they had just seen. They were in such awe of him, what else could they do? The things he did were so amazing that all they could do was fall to their knees and worship And notice, Jesus doesn't stop them. He receives it. Finally. When they'd crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. So Gennesaret is an area of the coastline near Capernaum. 
which means Jesus went across the sea to feed the 5,000 and to pray. Then he purposely sent the disciples into the storm. And then he comes back to to the other side where they started from the day before. Where he first heard about the death of John the Baptist. This is Jesus' hometown. These are the people who've rejected him as their Messiah and their king, largely. But they sure do love his healing power. And Jesus, in spite of being rejected, in spite of not sleeping the entire night, walks right into the crowd, so packed with people that those who were sick were begging to just touch the edge of his cloak. And even that was enough to heal them. So just to picture this, being at the center of a crowd like this, that's just pressing in around you. You're being pushed, you're being pulled, you're being grabbed. After a night without sleep, pouring yourself out for ungrateful people who refuse to believe who you really are. This is Jesus. His grace and his mercy and his kindness is unending to us. What love, what compassion, how amazing and how worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we're grateful for your son and his power and his authority and his greatness, that he is the great I am. We're thankful, Father, that you have revealed him to us on the pages of Scripture, that we can see and understand that he is the kind of Savior that we need, the kind of Savior that's in control of every drop of the storms we're facing in this life, who meets us in it so that we might lift our gaze to him and see his greatness and want to be like him, fully needing his strength to do so. Help us, Lord, to keep our gaze fixed on him and him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.